Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane. We're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. Today we're going to look at the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter, the 21st to the 35th verse. This is the Gospel in which Jesus begins to talk about uh, forgiveness and uh, how deep that should be, how frequently that should be, what is the nature of forgiveness. And so we, we start the Gospel by saying, Peter went up to Jesus and said, Lord, how often must I forgive my brother if he wrongs me? As often as seven times? And Jesus answered, not seven. I tell you, but 70 times seven. So let's look at this for just a minute. It was common among the rabbinical uh, schools, uh, common among the discussion among the rabbis as to how often should you forgive the same person. And some of them would argue it was three times, and some of them would argue it was four times. And so Peter, when he says this to Jesus, is basically thinking he's being incredibly generous with the offer of forgiveness because he has uh, combined the numbers of three and four. And so he thinks that he's got kind of a very, very generous solution to the problem of, of the offenses and forgiveness. And he's sure that Jesus is going to be affirming of him, and he's sure that Jesus is going to be pleased because he thinks that this kind of reflects the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of mercy, the spirit of forgiveness, and so forth of the Lord. But Jesus says, no, no, not seven. And so he, he takes away from Peter then his, his exaggerated sense of forgiveness, and he says, but 70 times seven. In other words, there are no limits once you must start multiplying, once you start multiplying um, significant numbers in the ancient world, uh, you, you, you get kind of endlessness coming out of them. And that's exactly what's happening here. And Jesus basically said there is no limit to how often you should forgive someone. You should forgive someone every time they ask forgiveness of you. And then he goes on, then he's going to tell them a parable. And in this parable, he's going to show something about the nature of forgiveness. I think one of the things that, that happens in this parable and something that we have, to, we have to think about, and that is the proportionality of how God treats us versus how we treat others. We have been given the incarnation of the Lord in order that we might understand God in more human terms, terms that are more graspable for us, terms that are, that are easier for us to comprehend, easier for us maybe to model ourselves on and so forth. But we can't let that lead us into the false presumption somehow or other that he's just one of us. He's, he's much more than just one of us. And I think that we, we have to keep both things in balance. First of all, that God became a human being so that we might be able to have human reactions, human understanding, human contact, and so forth with him. But he also, underlying all that, is the vast divinity of the infinite God. And he too is present in Jesus Christ. And so we must never think that we have mined the depth of the Lord. This is interesting here because 
Um, Peter kind of feels like he's done that. He's been just super generous, and he, that, that's kind of who Jesus is to him, this super generous, super forgiving person. And so he thinks he's really kind of got it down now by saying seven, adding the three and the four from the rabbinical discussions and making it even more than that. But God then lets him know, Jesus then lets him know, you know, it's all vaster than that. It's all much bigger than that. And so he says the 70 times 7. Now he's going to carry that sense of proportionality. He's going to carry that out in a parable. And he says, and so the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who decided to settle his accounts with his servants. When the reckoning began, they brought him a man who owed him 10,000 talents, but he had no means of paying. So his master gave orders that he be sold, together with his wife and children, all of his possessions to meet the debt. At this, the servant threw himself at his master's feet. Give me time, he said, and I will pay the whole sum. And the servant's master felt so sorry for him that he let him go and canceled the debt. This is the first part of it. First of all, we want to talk about proportionality. 10,000, uh, what is it, uh, 10,000 talents? Um, if you take 10,000 talents and you transpose, if you look it up, you transpose it into contemporary American dollars, it comes up to $3 billion. So the debt is, is unmanageable. It's huge. No individual person would find it within their realm probably to pay off a $3 billion debt, which is Jesus's point. Because the king, who is, of course, the representative, who is the Lord, who is God, has forgiven an insurmountable debt, a debt that is not possible for us to ever pay back. For we can never pay back the Lord for his goodness to us, for his sacrifice for us, for his love for us, for what he has done for us. It's not possible. He created us. He came down in human form and suffered and died for us. You know, how do you repay that debt? How do you do that? It's, uh, it's, it's the debt that, that in some ways, you know, you owe your parents plus times a billion. It's, uh, it's incomprehensible to us. But Jesus says the master forgives it. He just forgives it as he has forgiven us. He's forgiven us millennia of sinfulness. He has not destroyed humanity. He has, in fact, you know, performs for us um, wonderful miracles of acceptance, of healing, of love, of all these kinds of things. But then he's going to, then his parable, he's going to turn around. And as he turns around in this parable, then what he's going to do is he's going to show how much we don't appreciate what he did for us. And so he said, and uh, he felt sorry for him, and he let him go, and he canceled his debt. Now as this servant went out, he happened to meet a fellow servant who owed him 100 denarii. You go and you look that up, calculate 100 denarii, it's $5.41. So what we have is $5.41 versus $3 billion in the debt. Okay, And uh, the fellow servant then fell at his feet and implored him, saying, Give me time, and, and I will repay you. But the other would not agree. On the contrary, he had him thrown into prison till he should pay the debt. So here it is. He has been forgiven a $3 billion debt. He turns around to someone who owes him five bucks who can't pay it, and he throws him in prison for it. 
Now, in this, we're supposed to see ourselves, you know. We're supposed to see how many people in our lives have we not forgiven. We're going to talk about the nature of forgiveness next, but how many people do we know, do we realize that we truly, honestly haven't, haven't forgiven? And he said, now, he said, his fellow servants were deeply distressed when they saw what had happened. And they went to their master and they told the whole affair to him. And then the master sent for him. He said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours when you appealed to me. Were you not bound then to have pity on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? He's speaking directly to you and to me. What he has done for us is so overwhelming. How dare we ever be petty toward another? How dare we ever hold anything against another? when we ourselves have been given so much and had so much done for us. So in this parable, we see, we see the playing out. And what we see is the total, enormous, infinite benevolence of God taking away from us everything that would cost us the kingdom of heaven, taking away from us everything that would cause us to be cast into the outer darkness. And then he says, but look at yourselves. Look at how you turn around. You go back out and you face your own kind and you have no mercy and no forgiveness and no compassion. And I think there's a couple of things that we want to look at here. What is the nature of forgiveness? And what is the extent of that forgiveness in the whole, not only personally, but in the whole social order? And in his anger then, the master handed him over to the torturers until she, he should pay all his debt. And that is how my heavenly father will deal with you unless each of you forgive your brothers from your heart. Jesus is saying to us, if you want the mercy of God, that's great, but you better show it yourselves. So what is this forgiveness that we talk about? What is it? You know, too often, I think, we think of forgiveness as kind of an act of the will. You know, we close our eyes, squint our eyes, we grit our teeth, yeah, I will forgive that person. And yet, we don't forgive. That still is in our craw, that still kind of gnaws away at us, especially if it's a friend that has turned on us, especially if it's someone in our family who have turned on us, especially if it's someone close to us or someone whom we trusted or someone whom we felt. And then, then the, the wound comes and we say to ourselves, I want nothing to do with them. I, I'm, I'm finished with them. It's over. I will forgive them because the Lord tells me, to, but I will never forget. Well, that's not forgiveness. That's kind of make-believe. To say that we forgive someone because it is an act of the will to forgive is make-believe. Jesus points it out very, very deeply in the very last word of the gospel. The for true forgiveness is something that takes place in the human heart, not something that takes place in the intellect or the will. It is, in a sense, coming to understand more deeply the humanity of the other person, the flaws, the weaknesses that they might have, 
the fact that there was probably in the wound that they inflicted, probably there was a sense in some ways in their own minds of justification. They weren't doing it out of pure malice. They weren't doing it because they hate you. They weren't doing it usually because they wanted to harm you. That's the deepest wound. It's the wound that comes from the ones that we love. We suffer wounds from outside of ourselves. We suffer wounds from those who would physically harm us. We suffer wounds from those who maybe cause difficulties for us in our employment world, in our social world. We find those people who, who harm us in so many other ways, who lie to us. We find, for instance, ideological people who lie to us, who try to distort the truth, try to distort reality, and try to seduce us into, into a darkness of the human spirit, into a darkness of the human soul. We find all of that in the world. And all of that, somehow or other, we must come to say, but how much has God forgiven me? And I am not able in some way, not only to forgive these people from the depths of my heart, but to actually pray for their conversion. Because the lack of forgiveness, the lack of forgiveness in our hearts, the lack of understanding in our hearts is the seedbed of hatred. And hatred is the seedbed of darkness of spirit and darkness of soul. You know, that hatred is easily manipulated. It's easily manipulated because we do know people who do truly evil things. We know people who do truly bad things. But we also know, for instance, that there is kind of a sense, even a great sociological, great global sense of, you know, you can't have wars if you don't have hatred. You can't do it. Um, you can't raise your rifle and shoot another human being if you don't hate them, if you don't hate what they stand for. You can't really inflict kind of physical harm on people who you see as children of God, sinful children of God, but those who must be forgiven and those who must be prayed for, for their conversion. So that the disruption, the disorderliness within human society is caused by an ignoring Jesus' admonition in this very gospel. Forgive from your heart. And we can't do that if we don't see the other person as a human person, as a child of God, whom God loves and whom God has forgiven for much of what they have done. And we don't understand what's in their minds, what's in their hearts, what's in their experience. Um, there are some heroic, heroic signs of people who have forgiven untold disasters against them personally in their lives or those whom they love. And this becomes a model for us, and we're all amazed that someone can do it. On the other hand, you know, we don't, we realize or should realize that that's exactly what's asked of us. Remember the proportion between $3 billion and $5, and we'll see the proportionality between the benevolence of God and our own benevolence. Shouldn't we strive, you know, to raise the price a little bit in our own lives? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we be, be willing to step beyond the pettiness of our hatreds even though the world is always racked with war, uh, you find that horrible genocide that took place in Rwanda so many years ago. I think the woman Immaculate, I, I can't remember her last name, who speaks about the horrors of that. 
and yet she is a devotee of forgiveness and of reconciliation with God and of the wonder and the beauty of God's mercy and his goodness. These things have to touch our hearts. These things have to teach us deeply the lessons the Lord wishes to speak of us and speak to us. We have the tendency we, we desire to, to demonize. Um, if, we, if we hate a people, in, in the Second World War, if we hated Germans or Japanese or something, we demonize the entire race. How crazy is that? Don't we realize that the vast majority of those people are just living their lives? They're just getting by in their daily life. They're doing what every human being on the whole planet does. You know, they're marrying, they're having families, they're getting up in the morning, they're going to work, they're going to bed. Um, f many of them are praying to the Lord God. Why would we hate them? Why would we hate them enough to want to kill them? I think the same, you know, the same is true in the contemporary world. We, we, we find, uh, for instance, the, the hatred now, it's, it's, very, it's very chic, I suppose, to hate Russians now because of the unfortunate situation of the conflict between the Ukraine and Russia. And, and yet, who are the Russian people? Many of them are Christians. Many of them are doing everything that we do in our daily lives. They're getting up, they're going to work, they're going to bed, they're having families, they're getting married, they're trying to find some kind of relaxation, they're trying to provide for their children, all of this kind of thing. Why would we hate them? But you see, we can't wage these ghastly wars without hate. And so what Jesus is talking about, and, and certainly this is not, you know, an anti-war gospel or something like that, but it's a gospel that explains to us something about the op inner operation of the human person. It's a gospel that tells us something about who we are and something about who other people are. We all know there's nobody that gets to this life without being hurt, without at some point being betrayed by somebody. Um, look at the divisions that come in families, sometimes over the care of an elderly parent or sometimes over an inheritance. All of those kinds of things. What is all that compared to what the Lord has done for us? What is it all? Why do we bother with all that? Why is it that something that consumes us? And you know the other thing that we realize too, that the more we for, don't forgive another person, the more that bothers us and the less that bothers them. Most of them are just going to go on their way, not even usually and sometimes aware of the anger or the resentment that goes on within ourselves. It diminishes us. It makes us less than what God created us to be. He created us, therefore, to be the one who accepts the massive forgiveness of the Father and who is so grateful at the possibility to avoid eternal darkness that nothing should really enter in and take our heart over. There should be no hatred. There should be no lack of forgiveness. Our response to sinfulness and our response to the harm that people do each other should not be hatred and lack of forgiveness. It should be deep sorrow. And that deep sorrow should draw us to prayer. It should draw us to prayer 
for those people who do these things. It should draw us to prayer for societies that are poorly managed and poorly led, and we have no lack of those in the modern world, east, west, north, south, they're everywhere. And this should be for us a great sorrow and not a great cause for violence. Um, we, we find, for instance, that the desire to hate creates false imagery, f creates untruths. Uh, for instance, the desire to hate the church led to the false narrative that somehow or other there were massive graves at the residential schools in Western Canada among the Native Americans. Through all the end, there was a great to do, international to-do about it, a great day in, uh, of remembrance in Canada. Uh, it, it consumed most of the Pope's trip to Canada, and yet the more they excavate, the more they find nothing. It never happened. And yet it caused such hatred that over 60 Catholic churches were vandalized um, as a result of the news story that came about. All that's what hatred does. It creates falsehood. It creates lies. It, it, it creates false imageries of others. There are people that could harm me, that were close to me, and I could be very angry about it, and I could see them, you know, as very, very bad people or very negative, and yet to others, they're great friends, and to others, they're dear companions, and to others, all of this. We don't assume that role of judgment and condemnation to ourselves. We don't do that, not as Christians. And I think, too, that if we want to get a deeper sense of this proportionality between what God has done for us and what we are asked to do for one another, I think one of the great spiritual classics of all times, really, ever since at least from the 14th century or the early 15th century, is the book The Imitation of Christ by Thomas A. Kempis. You can't read that and come out of it thinking, you know, God and I are just buddies hanging out together, we're the same. You can't do that. It's, it's a book that really does kind of emphasize for us the tremendous disparity between who God is and who I am. It's not that we don't participate in his being or his activity. It's not that that's not part of our being human. But we are minusculely so in comparison with the divinity. And so we have to get that sense and let that sense form our hearts so that we stand in awe. Um, I recall one time I was telling a priest friend of mine about someone who was uh, saying that they experienced encounters with the Lord all the time. And I said, I, I, I'm not sure exactly sometimes how to, how to deal with that. And he said, he said, I use one criteria. I said, what that's that? And he said, do they experience awe? And I thought, all right, there it is. That whole sense, that whole discrepancy between the vastness of God and the smallness of myself. I should be always in awe of God. It's what is known oftentimes in the scriptures as fear of the Lord. It doesn't mean terror of the Lord. It means awe of the Lord. And uh, that every time we think of God and every time we encounter the Lord, even sacramentally, there should be kind of this sense within ourselves, if we had this sense within ourselves of awe, of the vastness and the wonder of God, we wouldn't even ask the question about who should I forgive or who should I not forgive. We should be willing to forgive everybody 
everything compared what God has done for us and for me personally in my life, you in your lives. If we were to see ourselves in comparison with the divine in the course of our lifetime, if we were not a forgiving people, if we were not a merciful people, each of us, if we were honest, would condemn ourselves for the life that we've led, for the mistakes that we've made. Each of us would do that. The reason that we don't do that is because of the way that God has dealt with us, with his mercy, his goodness, his kindness, with the way that he himself has lifted us up out of our own sinfulness and opened us up to the grace of the Heavenly Father, to the grace of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the, to the love of the Mother of God and to the communion of saints. He's, he's the one that lifted us up to do that. We cooperate, certainly, but our cooperation compared with his power is minuscule and that we cannot see ourselves as pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps into heaven. That never happens. We cooperate with his grace and we move slowly along the road of his love and compassion. And if we are honest then, we hold no grudges and we withhold no forgiveness in our hearts for the other children of the earth, the other children of God who struggle as we do, and some with less. Many were not given the sacraments. Many were not given the grace to move beyond the frailties of human nature. Let us take this parable and this story to heart. Keep in the back of our minds, what's $5 compared to $3 billion? What's what we do for another compared with what God did for us? Pray about that and reflect about that, that we might have maybe a more settled position within the story of salvation, not only our own, but that of others as well. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. Thank you.